Attention, all troops. He's alive. Alive. Welcome to the Rapture. I don't actually remember the first time I played Space Invaders. What I do remember is the first time I saw Space Invaders. Now, I had heard about Space Invaders from a bunch of my friends who talked about it all the time, but no Space Invader game had showed up in my town, and at the time that the Space Invaders had come out, my family wasn't making a lot of trips to any places that would have Space Invader games. Two of my closest friends at the time spent most of their summers down the shore. That's what we call the beach in New Jersey. They'd spent their summer frolicking in the waves and pumping quarters into Space Invaders. And when they returned in late August, they regaled me with stories of this amazing game that they had all played. Now, I had seen it mentioned on TV maybe a couple of times, but as a young kid, it was still outside of my radar. We had pinball machines in town, and at home, I had a Pong system that my family played. But the way Space Invaders was described, it was hard to understand if you'd never seen it before. I talked to my mom about it, and I said that if we go down the shore, I would love to play it. She said, of course, I'll give you a quarter to play it when we go down the shore. Of course, that's all I needed to hear to get excited about it. From that point on, everything became, when are we going to the shore, when are we going to the shore, when are we going to the shore? My family liked to go to a place called Point Pleasant normally. Now, Point Pleasant wasn't the best arcade place, but it had enough of an arcade presence that you could be guaranteed a Space Invaders game. So that September, before all of the boardwalk shut down, my family decided to take one last fling down the shore. We drove down to Asbury Park first. Asbury Park at that point was pretty much... A ghost town. I think we got a hot dog. Then we took a spin up to Point Pleasant. Couldn't wait to get out of the car. We strolled down the boardwalk slowly, getting close to an arcade, and my mother could see that I was almost trembling, and she said, okay, go. And I didn't even remember to get any money. I just ran into the arcade to see what was going on. It didn't take me long to spot the Space Invader games, and I just remember my first impression of seeing it from the side, and there were a couple of them in a row. I could see the artwork on the side of the machine as I approached it. It was wondrous to behold. It was an amazing, bold print of a flying saucer invasion, and to me it was more captivating than any movie poster I had seen up to that point. The kids who were playing it were all smoking, and I would say that there was a certain amount of juvenile delinquency going on, but that didn't matter. I tried my best as a little kid to kind of creep forward so I could see it, and I was not disappointed. Seeing that reflected background on the game and, and seeing the movement and shooting and the seemingly complicated buttons was all I needed to know that I needed to play this game. I ran outside asked for a quarter, ran back inside, and waited. Now, I probably don't have memories of that first gameplay because it was very, very short. I had no idea what was going on. But I know I thought a lot about the game after that. Because when Atari mentioned that they would have Space Invaders with their system, it became a huge deal for me. I couldn't even imagine having that game in my own living room. When I did get Space Invaders for Atari, that is where my memories of playing Space Invaders pick up, and I don't think I ever really played the game in the arcade after that. 
there hasn't been that many things in the intervening years that has wowed me as much as seeing that first arcade cabinet. Maybe the first time I got to use Telnet and glimpsed a bit of what the internet would be, or maybe when I first saw my first Dungeons and Dragons book. It is often overshadowed by games that came later, but Space Invaders is an underrated pop cultural landmark that should be respected and cherished. On today's show, we're going to talk about Space Invaders. We're going to talk about its creation, the technology that went into it, its movement from Japan to America, its influences on pop culture, and the effect it had on video games afterwards. Should be a really interesting show, so without further ado, let's start the show. In 1978, the Taito Corporation of Japan was a struggling maker of pachinko games. Now, these pachinko games were a forebearer to what we would call arcade games, sort of simple games of chance where you dropped balls into a colorful playfield and tried to direct them into holes for points. You could still see games like this in beachside arcades. At the time, though, there was a lot of companies making games like this, but a new style of gaming was dawning. Pong had made a big splash and was pushing into pinball and pachinko territory all across the world. Enter a young engineer named Tomohiro Nishikado. Nishikado had seen Pong and its popularity and wanted to try to emulate that. He had already done a straight ripoff of Pong earlier in the decade, but he wanted to create a game that built on Pong and added much more compelling gameplay. What he came up with would become a worldwide phenomenon. Interestingly, Taito was founded by a Russian businessman who lived in Japan. His name was Michael Kogan, and he founded the company in 1953. They started out importing and distributing vending machines. Later, they would begin leasing jukeboxes and eventually would start to manufacture their own machines. As I said, by the 1970s, they were not doing so well. They had started to manufacture mechanical games, and they had a moderate hit with an electromechanical game called Space Monsters back in 1972. So with the company struggling and a video game revolution on the horizon, Taito turned to its talent to try to seek a future for itself. Nishikado was a brilliant engineer. In 1972, he had developed Soccer, which was based on Pong, which was the first locally produced arcade game in Japan, and that was released in 1973. Then from 1972 to 78, he actually developed 10 other video games, although those were of mixed success. So when he was given his assignment in 1977, he took to the task with his usual gusto. There was a problem, though. Microcomputers in Japan were not powerful enough at the time to perform the complex tasks involved in designing and programming the game he had in mind. 
because of this, he had to create all his own custom hardware and development tools for the game. So starting completely from scratch, he created the arcade board using microprocessors from the U.S. And even with his own custom stuff, he wasn't able to make the game he originally wanted because the hardware just wasn't powerful enough to match his vision. Things he wanted in the game that he'd have to give up on were moving variable rate aliens and color graphics. So how did he come up with this idea for a game about an alien invasion? Well, there's conflicting stories, just like it seems on every video game I look into. Some just cite the earlier mentioned Space Monsters, which they had created in 1972. And Space Monsters was actually the original title for the game. Nishikado says, though, that his inspiration simply was he had seen Atari's arcade game Breakout and how successful it was. And he thought he could use a similar sort of back-and-forth gameplay to create a shooter-style game. And he wanted to give that same sense of achievement that you got in Breakout by completing stages and destroying targets. But he hoped that with his own custom hardware, and by starting from the ground up, that he could make the graphics much more complex. The early stages of the game design wasn't locked into the space genre. The early concepts of the game actually didn't involve space at all. Nishikado played around with using tanks, battleships, combat planes, and even people moving around and coming down and you shooting them. He didn't like the idea of having humans be the target because he thought it was immoral to be shooting at people. Then he saw a magazine feature about a little movie that had come out in America that year, Star Wars, and thought maybe a space theme might be a good idea. So he pursued a space theme and thought back to his childhood where he had seen an adaptation of H.G. Wells' The War of the Worlds. He based the original aliens after the octopus-like aliens from that movie. The other aliens that were in the game would be modeled after other seafood, squids, crabs, etc. With these concepts in hand, he decided that Space Monsters would be a great name for the game. They already had the name in the library, and in Japan at the time, there was a very popular song called Monster, so he figured that wouldn't hurt sales. But when his superiors saw the game, inexplicably, they decided it would be a good idea to change the name, and the game was christened Space Invaders. Saturday's Super Game will return after these messages. Amazingly, it had only taken Nishikado about a year to develop Space Invaders from start to finish. And this was a game that was ahead of its time. He had to create technology 
just to realize his vision. And some of the technology, like rasterized graphics, are still in use today. Rasterized graphics are what you're very familiar with when you have a game that doesn't resize well. You see, the graphics in a rasterized game are made up of rows of pixels. So any change in the size of the picture or graphics results in the change of the pixel size as well. So when you play older games that are rasterized graphics, they look all blurry. And Nishikata was really early in the use of these rasterized graphics. But that's not the end of its influence. The game, of course, is one of the earliest shooting games. And it would inspire a slew of imitators. It was also one of the first video games to have an intermission between gameplay and to popularize the concept of having a high score. It was also one of the first games to use its built-in system to create a clever attract mode. An attract mode is when a game is sitting there unplayed. It's supposed to attract you by flashing pretty graphics or showing you interesting gameplay. Space Invaders, if you've ever seen it, has a pretty cute sense of humor and invites you to look at the attract screen as opposed to just flashing, flashing, flashing. It would first display the words play Space Invaders with the Y in play turned upside down. An invader would come along and take the upside down Y carrying it off the screen. Then they would return with a Y right side up and insert it back into place in the game. Then that invader would disappear off the screen and the screen would change and it would say insert coin with two C's in coin. Another invader would come out and bomb the offending extra C. Now that seems pretty tame. What you might see in a very primitive screensaver nowadays, but back then that was an amazing jump in entertainment value for an arcade game. The game was released in Japan in June of 1978, and to say it was a hit would be an understatement. The game was released in cocktail table format with black and white graphics in Japan. For those not familiar, the cocktail table cabinet is the one where you sit across from another person looking down on the graphics of the game. The Western release, which most people are familiar with in the United States, was in an upright cabinet. So in Japan, they had these cocktail table format cabinets, and they were huge hits. They opened arcades that had nothing but Space Invader cabinets in them. And in those arcades, they would be pumping that Space Invaders music over speakers. So you're in there playing a game of Space Invaders. You're hearing that audio from all over the place and over loudspeakers. So popular was it in Japan that the 100 yen coins that were used in the game actually started to run out and the Japanese government needed to start minting new coins just to keep up with demand. It was such a phenomenon in Japan that juvenile crime surrounding the game went through the roof. In one instance, a girl was caught stealing $5,000 from her parents just so she could play Space Invaders. Youth gangs would band together just to rob grocery stores so that they could get money to play the game. It was all like something out of a wonderful 80s movie. I assume many of you have already played Space Invaders, but if you haven't, here's a little description of the game. Space Invaders is a two-dimensional shooter game in which a player moves a laser cannon horizontally across the bottom of the screen, the whole time firing at five rows of 11 aliens, meaning 55 aliens that move back and forth across the screen. Now they move horizontally back and forth, but with each movement, they drop down a level. So inevitably, the aliens will touch ground and you will lose. Now as you kill more aliens, 
the game gets faster, so it gets more difficult to shoot the aliens. And this was actually a side development of the game technology. The fewer aliens that were on the screen, the faster they could render. When Nishikado saw that, he could have come up with a workaround and slowed the alien down, but instead he decided, wow, that's actually a really great addition to gameplay and decided to keep it in. One of those happy surprises, I imagine, for him while he was working on a very difficult game. You have these three bases, and in some systems four, at the bottom of the screen that you could hide under, and that helps because the aliens can shoot down at you. One famous strategy is to actually shoot through your own base and use it as a blocker for the aliens as they come down. Every once in a while, a glowing mystery ship will move across the top of the screen, and if destroyed, will award bonus points. As I said, you get points in the game for killing aliens. When you've destroyed every alien, you move on to the next level. And there are potentially an infinite amount of Space Invader levels. Infinite, yes, but also very difficult. As the game moves forward, it gets harder. And therefore, the game has always been challenging for professional video game players. The current world record holder for Space Invaders is Donald Hayes, who achieved a score of 55,160 on June 7, 2003. The company that would come to distribute Space Invaders in America was Midway. Now, Midway saw that Space Invaders was doing well, but little did they know that they would be in possession of what would be, up to that point, the most popular video game to ever come to the United States. There were some differences between the American and the Japanese version of the game. The American version was a stand-up cabinet, the one that we are more familiar with. It also used stripes of orange and green cellophane over the screen to simulate color graphics. The game also uses mirrors to reflect the painted backdrop of a moon against a space background. This gave an illusion of increased graphics for the player. Space Invaders in America took the traditional course, showing up in bars and arcades and pinball halls. But the game was so popular that it was the first game to transcend those venues. The game started popping up in non-traditional video game places like department stores and malls. You see, Space Invaders not only grabbed the kids, but adults were really into it as well. This was a game that had buzz on television, and if you owned a venue that the public used, you would be a fool to ignore the money-making potential. Of course, where you have success, you also have backlash. Kids were playing the game so much that adults in America and in Japan tried to rally to get the games banned in their community, and many municipalities passed ordinances banning video games in a town called Mesquite, Texas. A group was trying to ban the game legally, and of course there were people who were against and for this. That case went all the way up to the Supreme Court of the United States. Even these controversies couldn't put a damper on sales. In the United States alone, 65,000 Space Invaders machines were produced, and it is reported that worldwide, 350,000 units have been produced. It was a phenomenon on the scale of Pac-Man and Donkey Kong. Appearing in television and movies, Space Invaders first appeared in the 1980s movie Midnight Madness, in the 1982 movie Fast Times at Ridgemont High, and in the classic 1983 movie Joysticks. But it didn't stop there. In 1984, it made an appearance in the movie The Iceman, and even into the 90s, when arcades were shown, as in 1991's Terminator 2 Judgment Day, you could still see Space Invaders proudly in the background. 
even if Space Invaders wasn't to crawl out of the arcade and into our living rooms, it would still be a huge phenomenon. But in 1980, Space Invaders became the first official licensing of an arcade game by a home console. This license was for the Atari 2600. When Space Invaders was made available for the Atari 2600, it was like a switch was flipped. Everyone was running out to get an Atari 2600. And by the end of that year, sales had quadrupled for the Atari 2600 system. And a whole new crowd of people who never would go to an arcade or might pass up the game in their local restaurant or mall were introduced to the game. I can tell you this, that's where my mother's obsession with the game started. Many people consider Space Invaders to be the first killer app ever developed, since it was the reason for Atari 2600's massive success at the turn of the decade. Of course, Space Invaders didn't stop there. It's been released on almost every major console since the Atari 2600 and has spawned innumerable sequels, starting in 1980 with Deluxe Space Invaders, or Space Invaders Deluxe, which had a different graphical scheme and a Lunar City background. The year after that, you got Space Invaders 2, which was a cocktail table format game for the United States. Then in 1985, Return of Space Invaders was released. In 1991, Space Invaders 91, Space Invaders DX, and Space Invaders 1995. Each of these games kept the original formula of invading aliens with similar movement, but just tweaked it a little, and each one of them is fun in their own right. Most recently, I've become slightly obsessed with the sequel Space Invaders Extreme, which was originally released in 2008, but the version I started playing was released on the Xbox Live Arcade just this past summer. The game is slightly more fast-paced, with a lot more power-ups and a pumping electronic soundtrack. Space Invaders is, of course, ingrained in popular culture. It still continues to appear in movies and in TV shows, most notably recently on that 70s show, Scrubs and Robot Chicken. There is a great episode of Futurama called Anthology of Interest 2 that has a segment called Raiders of the Lost Arcade that not only borrows from Space Invaders, but actually features the gameplay quite prominently as a plot point. The game has made a move from popular culture to the fine arts, showing up in museums. The game itself has inspired musicians worldwide, from classical to electronica to rock and roll. Just do a search and you will see Space Invaders' influences. I challenge you to walk the streets of any major metropolitan city and, in the course of that day, not pass some reminder that Space Invaders had been here, be it a t-shirt or street art or even a sign on a local club. These invaders have made a home in our group consciousness, and I don't think they'll be going anywhere anytime soon. Thanks for listening to the show. For more retro fun, drop by the website at www.retroist.com. You can follow me on Facebook and Twitter. I'm at facebook.com slash retroist and twitter.com slash retroist. Thanks to everybody who's been dropping by iTunes and giving the Retroist a review. If you haven't done so yet, I really would appreciate it if you could log in. Give us maybe a couple of stars, five, and uh, 
maybe a couple of kind words that would really help us out. Thanks again for listening to the show, and I hope you have a great weekend. I need quarters. This has been a retrospective production. Goodbye.